The Guardian. Of the questions to the Prime Minister, Michael J. Foster. Question number one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In, my, in addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. The strength of the economy, coupled with. I repeat, the strength of the economy, with the minimum wage and tax credits for children, coupled with my right honourable friend's commitment uh, to reducing child poverty, means that in my constituency of Hastings and Ryan elsewhere, thousands of young people are now free from that scourge. ambitious target of my right honourable friend in the Labour government to eradicate child poverty by 2020. What further measures does... Mr Speaker, there are, as a result of the work of the Chancellor and the government, there are three million more people in work and half a million children have been taken out of poverty. There are two million people benefiting from the minimum wage. There are 12 million children benefiting from child benefit and child tax credits, taking more people out of poverty. As a result, the numbers of people in absolute poverty have halved. 600,000 children are now out of poverty. We will do more in the next few years. But this would not be possible if, for figures that don't add up, we cut £10 billion from public expenditure to pay for tax cuts. We will pursue a path of stability and tackling child poverty. I'm not sure the planted questions get any better. Um, I'd like to ask the Prime Minister about something that he rightly gave a very high priority to, which is the humanitarian crisis in Darfur. Since the start of this year, another 80,000 people have been driven from their homes, aid workers have been killed, access to humanitarian relief has dramatically reduced across Darfur, and even areas like Al Fasha, which I visited 16 months ago, are sometimes inaccessible because of the Janjaweed militia. Seven months ago, the Prime Minister promised quick and decisive action, but will he confirm that on any objective measure, the situation on the ground has actually got worse? Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, th th there are four million people in famine or dependent on food aid. Uh, there are two million people who have been displaced and 400,000 people have died. This is a humanitarian tragedy of colossal proportions where the world must act. I believe that we must strengthen our sanctions against the Sudanese government. Uh, we should have uh, military sanctions for the whole of uh, Sudan. I believe also that the United Nations force, and I've talked to the General Secretary, must be in place as quickly as possible, and there should be no further delays, and that the African Union must make its contribution. But I believe most of all that we must get people to the peace table. And that's why it's important that not only do the government of Sudan come to the peace talks, it's also important that the rebel groups join the peace talks, which they haven't done before. So we will continue to step up our efforts. Uh, the Foreign Office uh, Minister has been there recently. We've asked the Chinese to intervene in this situation. And, of course, the Secretary General of the United Nations, I would like him to visit the region uh, very soon. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister quite rightly mentions the joint African Union-UN force that everyone 
signed up to. But can he confirm that while seven months ago, last July, seven months ago, we were told 20,000 peacekeepers, nearly 4,000 police would be deployed, whereas actually even on the most optimistic estimates, there are only 10,000 of them there today. And recent reports say they have no military helicopters whatsoever. Does he agree with me this is completely unsatisfactory? The Prime Minister said himself he would consider visiting Darfur. What steps is he now proposing to make sure the international community rises to this very important challenge? The, 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 the President of uh, France, uh, Mr Sarkozy, and I have talked about the provision of helicopters in this area and what more we can do. It is not simply Sudan, it is Chad. We have also talked about the creation of a no-fly zone in the area, but it is an area, the pop an area the size of France which makes it very difficult to police. I believe the way forward is to move to the peace talks as quickly as possible, and I hope all sections of this House will join me in pressing the rebel groups, as well as the government of Sudan, to join these talks. Let, let me pick up on one point he just made about the, about the no-fly zone. I think a no-fly zone is important. Tony Blair said very clearly last year, a no-fly zone to prevent the use of Sudanese air power against refugees and displaced people is vital. I agree with him. Anyone who's been to Darfur will talk to people in the refugee camps who say it wasn't just the Janjaweed militia, it was Sudanese army that drove me out of my village. They were coming out of Sudanese aircraft. So the no-fly zone is vital. A month ago, the Prime Minister said in a written answer there had not been an assessment of the logistical challenges of implementing one. So will he confirm today he is still in favour of a no-fly zone and will push for it very hard? Mr Speaker, I would simply emphasise this. The most important thing is to get people to peace talks. That is the only way that this will be brought to a conclusion. As far as the no-fly zone is concerned, I have looked at this uh, issue. Uh, I would like to move ahead if it were at all possible, but we've got to accept that the area it would have to police is the geographical size of France. It would need large numbers of aeroplanes to be able to do so, and the more important thing at the moment is to get a ceasefire, to stop the aerial bombing of civilians as a result of that. I believe we can get progress on that and then get people to the peace stops. That is the way to solve this problem. Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that the First Minister of Northern Ireland and the Democratic Unionist Party have vetoed the devolution of justice and policing to Northern Ireland. When the Prime Minister comes to Northern Ireland in May for the US Investment Conference, will he give a clear, positive message that completing devolution and maximising investment is a twin pillar for progress and stability in Northern Ireland? It's absolutely right that justice and policing, the devolution of that, uh, will complete the St Andrews uh, Agreement uh, and mean that it is fully implemented. I have to say, however, that there has been a great deal of progress in Northern Ireland, and I would pay tribute to the First uh, Minister. I think it is great news also that the Queen is able to visit Northern Ireland in the next uh, few days. It is also true that the investment conference in Northern Ireland will be held in the next few weeks, and I hope there will be very substantial American participation in this. And I hope all parties will follow the report that has been done for the Northern Ireland Assembly about the issues that have still got to be resolved in justice and policing and move forward to reach agreement on these matters very quickly. Nick Clegg. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, does the, Prime Minister, does the Prime Minister agree with me that unless we get big money out of British politics, there's a real risk that our political system will end up like America's, where influence and power are controlled by cash. Does he not understand the disgust of the British people as they see the two larger parties refusing to deliver? 
Mr Speaker, I agree with him. There should be a limit on election expenditure and it should be properly enforced and it should be lower than the previous limits. There should also be a limit on donations and I agree with him on that, although I see that he's changed his policy. It was once 10,000, it's now, it was once 20, now 25,000 I gather from his speech of the weekend. And as far as the other aspects of this are concerned, I believe there should be transparency in politics and all the information should be published. We've heard all this before. He's doing nothing. Why is he using the Tory attachment to big money from Belize as an excuse to sit on his own hands? Isn't the truth that both he and the Conservatives are so busy protecting their own vested interests that they won't do what's right for Britain? I, I don't think he followed that. I had answered his question and said what we should do. There should be limits on national election expenditure, there should be limits on individual donations, and there should be greater transparency. I hope we can agree on this, and I hope all parties will agree. Stephen Hepburn, the Prime Minister will be aware of the disgraceful plight of plural plaque sufferers in this country who are being denied the rightful claim to, to compensation by the courts. Does he agree with me? It doesn't matter how this issue is dressed up. Plural plaques is a working class industrial injury caused by the negligent exposure to asbestos. Will he meet with the group of MPs who have been campaigning on this issue in here so we can bring an end to this dreadful Victorian scandal? Yeah. I'm grateful to my honourable friend for raising this after the House of Lords judgment, which now has to be answered. Asbestosis and, and mesothelioma are terrible diseases, and all of us have seen the effects that they have caused. Know that we've got to do more to help those who are victims of this disease. Uh, plural plaques. Uh, we are looking at this matter at, the very, at this very moment. We will publish a consultation document soon on this issue. We are determined to take some action, and I'm very happy to meet his delegation. Under Mackay. As when uh, the Prime Minister was charged with the Exchequer, it was widely spun that he only gave Tony Blair two days' notice of his budget proposals. Can we assume that the current Chancellor has been more cooperative? <laughs> uh, the, the information he has is completely wrong. And it is because it is because it is because it is because of cooperation in government that we, we are the government that has created more stability than any government in the history of this country. As my right honourable friend will know, this is Prostate Cancer Awareness Week, and 10,000 men die of prostate cancer every year, making it the commonest cause of cancer deaths in men. However, there are very significant inequalities across the country in cancer death rates for prostate disease. Will my right honourable friend commit to reducing health inequalities and improving research, treatment and awareness of this terrible condition so he can bring this death toll down? I I agree entirely with what he says. Uh, More has to be done. There has been a 16% fall in cancer deaths. There is more availability of both help and uh, checkups and screening. At the same time, people who are suspected of the disease are treated far more quickly than ever before. But we have got to do more about that. But it is only possible to do more if we continue to spend and invest in our National Health Service. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I believe there is a strong case for more free votes in Parliament, and there is an unanswerable case for free votes on matters of conscience. One such example is the Human Fertilisation and Embryology Bill. Can the Prime Minister explain why votes on matters of conscience issues were whipped in the House of Lords, and can he tell us why his official spokesman 
has said that this bill will not be subject to a free vote in the House of Commons. On the, on, on the issues that arise in this bill, one is a potential amendment on abortion, and that will be uh, subject to a free vote in the House, as, as is absolutely normal. As far as the human fertilisation bill, he must know that it came before initially a joint committee of all houses. Recommendations were made. That were then part of the bill. The bill has then been put through the House of Lords, and it will come to the House of Commons, and we will make a decision about the way uh, that votes will take place on that in due course. Let me just tell him what was actually whipped in the House of Lords. Votes on the production of hybrid human animal embryos, that was whipped. The requirement for IVF clinics to have regard for a child's need for a father, that was whipped. Uh, And the circumstances under which saviour siblings can be created, those were all whipped votes. They shouldn't have been. He says he's going to make make a decision. Why not break the habit of a lifetime, make the decision now and tell us what it is? Mr. Speaker, I'm explaining how this bill arose. It arose from a select committee that made recommendations. That select committee made recommendations that formed the basis of the bill. The bill then went to the House of Lords, and it has gone through the House of Lords. We will make our decisions on this in the normal way. But let me be absolutely clear that we respect the conscience of every member of the House in this matter. This just isn't good enough. His official spokesman... His official spokesman said that this bill would be treated in a normal way, there wouldn't be free votes. If that's going to change, why can't he tell us? Why doesn't he listen to Lord Alton, who said in the House of Lords, sometimes I despair that even after such an extraordinary debate as we have had here, there are whipped votes. I'm sorry that the President of 1990, when the original legislation was introduced and free votes were allowed throughout on these matters, has not been followed today. Tell us now, can we have free votes on all of the conscience issues in this bill? Yes or no? But if he wishes to call a free vote of his party, that is his matter. But let me just, let me just, let me just say this. He is not understanding the way this bill arose. It arose from recommendations made by a select, joint select committee of this House. But I do tell him this. As I've said before, we will respect the conscience of every member of this House. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thanks to the magnificent work of Kirkley's Primary Care Trust, health services have been transformed in my area. But the the Shadow Health Minister predicted that A&E would be closed by now. Instead, Instead, millions are being spent in community health and mental health services. So, can I be assured by my right honourable friend that success will continue to be rewarded and sound financial management will be uh, continued by this government. It is possible to spend more on the National Health Service in every area of the country because of our commitment to a 4% real terms rise in health service expenditure over the next few years. That would not be possible if we accepted proposals for 10 billions of tax cuts which would have to be paid for by 10 billions of cuts in public expenditure. And that would inevitably mean cuts in the National Health Service. That we will not do. It is for the others in this House to decide what they do on health. Alistair can make all. Thank you, Mr Speaker. For months, for months, the Government has been warned that continued unfair treatment of staff in the Maritime Coast Guard Agency would lead to strike action. And last week, for the first time ever, it happened. Fortunately, there was no loss of life, but next time we might not be so lucky. 
Will the Prime Minister intervene to impress upon senior management in the Coast Guard Agency the need to engage with their own staff and to end this very dangerous and damaging dispute? Well, I'm very saddened by this uh, strike. I I understand that the management uh, remain very keen to talk to the unions on this very issue to ensure that the situation is resolved as soon as possible. Safety at sea is a priority, and I can assure him that nothing will be done to allow the industrial action to affect safety of people at sea. Many of my constituents rely on London's buses in order to be able to get about, and they would be greatly alarmed if they thought that the service was under threat. With pensioners across the country about to enjoy free off-peak travel, does my right honourable friend agree with me that this is a timely moment to remember how important it is that London has a well-run, properly-funded bus service? Mr Speaker, bus, bus usage in London is now at its highest level since 1965. In other words, there are more people using buses in London than at any time for 40 years. I understand this would be put at risk by proposals that would cost £100 million if applied by the Conservative Party. That would mean bus fares would rise, it would discourage ordinary people from using the bus service. We are determined to maintain bus services in London. Mr Speaker, if the Prime Minister Minister was to set about the rather daunting task of trying to persuade trades unionists back into the Labour fold, would he refer to the 40,000 job cuts and diversion the below-inflation pay rises in the public sector, or perhaps his government's support for the evil regime in Colombia. Which would be his sales pitch? I would refer to the minimum wage that we implemented against the teeth of opposition from other parties. I would refer to the right to be a member of trade unions, which we restored after what happened at GCH Hugh Cheltenham. And I would refer to three million jobs created by this government. Buddy Governor. Given the 40% increase in funding to Brent Council under this government, can the Prime Minister explain why a disabled person in my constituency is faced with a 214% rise in their cost of care or a grieving family a 143% rise in the cost of burying a loved one? Does this not show that where there are Liberal and Tory coalitions, they always target the vulnerable and the disadvantaged? Mr Speaker, Brent Council has received extra money from central government to enable it to undertake the public services that it should be performing. Therefore, it's unfortunate that we have a Tory Liberal coalition to cut vital public services in this area. We have provided the money. They have cut the services. Well, bless all. I, I, I thank the Prime Minister for his words of support for military personnel wearing their uniform in public. In addition, I hope for his support for an Armed Forces Day, will he see if the 1986 Public Order Act can be amended to make it a specific offence for somebody to insult a member of Her Majesty's Armed Forces wearing uniform in public? Mr Speaker, uh, we, we are proud of our armed forces, and I believe that they have not only the right, but we welcome the fact that they wear their uniform in public when they're in the United Kingdom. And I know that he is proud of what happens in his own constituency as well. I believe the police do have powers to deal with those people who abuse or intimidate our armed forces. 
I believe that they have the powers if they need them to use them already, and I believe the public are on their side if they take action to ensure that our armed forces achieve both the recognition and the acclaim that they rightly deserve. Jim Cunningham. Can I ask my honourable friend that uh, what he's doing in terms of humanitarian aid for Darfur, could he give us a bit more information on that? Whilst at the same time we appreciate the government's trying to initiate peace talks. Mr Speaker, the UK is the second largest donor to Sudan. Uh, We have a programme of £114 million. uh, At the same time, we have spent to date £290 million on humanitarian aid uh, throughout the last few years in Darfur. We stand ready to provide additional assistance if we can have the peace talks happening and working and if we can get a proper settlement backed by a United Nations force in the area. Boris Johnson. Given that the Prime Minister has once again misrepresented my policy, if if inadvertently, and given that the Honourable Lady opposite herself last week said that there was scarcely a child in her constituency who had not been mugged, will he now join me in agreeing to reallocate some of the Mayor's publicity budget increment for next year to put another 440 uniformed PCSOs on some of the rowdier bus routes? to give Londoners on the buses the security that they want. There are, there are more police in London than ever before as a result of the decision of London. London. The Honourable Gentleman can't hear the Prime Minister's answer. <laughs> Mr Speaker, there are more police in London and it is the result of a Labour Mayor. And if I may say so, perhaps a member for Henley must answer for what he says. He says we have got to be absolutely clear where the scope for real economies is. The real ticket for spending is the Metropolitan Police and Transport for London. That's, that's, he says, where the real savings, believe me, are to be found. It's a cuts manifesto from the Tories. Order, kiss more. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Unemployment in Ipswich has fallen by 1,500 or nearly one half since 1997. This is a success for both the government's economic policies and for each and every one of the individuals that has returned to work. In the face of global competition, regional cities like Ipswich need every bit of homegrown business talent they can acquire. Can my right honourable friend tell me what his new National Enterprise Academy will achieve in constituencies like mine? Mr Speaker, I am very pleased that the um, Secretary for Universities has announced proposals where there will be more universities and more higher education institutes in cities and towns of this country. On Monday we announced the creation of a new National Enterprise Academy to be led by Peter Jones and we will choose a site uh, in a part of the country which needs that Enterprise Academy and there will be more apprenticeships over the next few years in every area of the country. There were 70,000 apprenticeships when we came into power. There are now 250,000 apprentices. That will double over the next 10 years. That is what we mean by equipping Britain for the future. Tom Brick. Sutton doesn't get decent homes funding. Sutton's properties are in need, in greater need of investment than almost any other in any London borough. Um, yet, from April this year, Sutton's tenants. Uh, £10 million of their rent will actually be used in other boroughs to improve housing in other boroughs. Would the Prime Minister be willing to meet a delegation of Sutton tenants to explain why this happens? Mr Speaker, can I say we have doubled expenditure on housing over the last few years. 
We have doubled the expenditure, particularly on social housing. We have made it easier for people to buy their own homes by raising the stamp duty threshold as well. And we have introduced equity sharing to make it possible for more people to buy their homes, even if they don't have the amount of money when they start to become an owner-occupier. These are all measures we are taking to improve home ownership, and I hope that councils around the country will support us in our aim to build three million more houses by 2020. Colin Challen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, ignoring the lesser ambitions of other countries, um, the German government has set itself a carbon reduction target of 40% by 2020. Can we join Germany in a new arms race, a carbon reductions arms race, where we will win the new jobs, the new technologies and the new exports and a clean environment? Mr Speaker, I have to say that we are the country that is meeting our Kyoto obligations. We will continue to do so and we will also press the international community to move to a higher level of ambition for 2050. At the moment, the ambition is to reduce emissions by 60%. We are asking our Climate Change Committee to look at 80%. I believe that is the sort of ambition all of us need, and I hope every country in the European Union will support us. Robert Gidwell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This is a can of beef from a uh, ration pack issued to the Yorkshire Regiment in Afghanistan, where I recently had the privilege of meeting with many of them. On the base of the tin, it reads, Produce of Argentina. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that our troops deserve the best, which in this case means either British or even Scottish beef? We continue to look at how we can improve uh, procurement. Uh, I will take what he says and look at it with the Chief of the Defence Staff and others. It is very important that we do the best by our forces and we will do so. A strong economy has meant fewer unemployed young people in Slough, but many of them don't have the skills to compete for the work that's available. I'm glad about the announcement of extra apprenticeships that the Prime Minister made, but can he do more to ensure that employers commit to high-quality work-based training for young people so that they can compete for well-paid work? Mr Speaker, I had the privilege of visiting uh, my Royal Defence constituency when we launched the New Deal to give young people and adults new opportunities for employment. And I still hope that there would be all-party support for the maintenance of the New Deal. As far as adults and learners are concerned, she is absolutely right. We need to do more to persuade employers, particularly small businesses, to train their workforces. That's why we've introduced Train to Gain. That's why we're giving every adult under 25 the right to train up to A-levels, even if they've missed the first chance at school. And that's why all adults of whatever age are given the chance to train to basic level two. So we are doing more than ever to train people for what is a new economy where we're going to need the skills for the Jeffrey M. Donaldson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that it would be entirely wrong to devolve policing and justice powers to the Northern Ireland Assembly whilst the IRA Army Council remains in place? Mr Speaker, I understand that he has chaired the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee on these matters. Uh, The committee reported uh, yesterday, I gather, uh, and debated on these issues. It agreed to forward its report to the Secretary of State. I know there are both decisions that are being recommended from that committee and controversial issues. I think the best thing is that discussions take place, discussions take place on these issues and we see how we can resolve them. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My honourable friend, the Prime Minister, has seen for himself the devastation which flooding causes in homes, communities, and in families as well. The government set aside millions of pounds for assisting areas suffering from flooding, but this isn't just a matter of natural weather events, it's also a matter of <coughs> failing infrastructure in many parts of the country. Can he tell me how people in my constituency, whether they be local authorities or businesses, can access those monies set aside by government? I'm grateful to my honourable friend, who's taken a very big interest in these uh, matters. Uh, the expenditure on this area has risen. In fact, it has doubled in the last 10 years. We will raise expenditure further because it is absolutely vital that we have the investment in flood and against uh, coastal erosion risk. And we will spend £800 million on this by 2011. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The official inquiry into the foot and mouth outbreak at Purbright has found direct ministerial responsibility. Can the Prime Minister tell the House how ministers are to be held to account and when there will be a full and proper animal tracing process put in place? I don't accept his interpretation of that report at all. Uh, what, actually, what actually the report says is that the action taken by the government was immediate and instant and was the right thing to do. It, all, it, it, it also says that we were far better prepared than for any previous foot and mouth outbreak. It made recommendations about the future and we will look at all these recommendations. We are already investing and changing the management at Purbright to avoid these things happening in the future. And I hope he would give the House a fair reflection of Mr Anderson's report. this week that indicate that up to 4,000 forced marriages take place every year and also that hundreds of ethnic minority children uh, are disappearing from school roles and uh, may have been forced into marriage against their will. Can I ask my right honourable friend if he will look into the role of education welfare officers and those tasked with the responsibility of absenteeism from school of children and perhaps look to... Mr Speaker, she raises uh, a very important uh, issue about the 3,000 young women who are victims of forced marriages and perhaps many more. The Home Office and the Foreign Office set up a joint unit in 2005 and it is handling 5,000 inquiries a year. All the matters she raised will be looked at very carefully. This is not something that is uh, tolerable and we must do everything we can to support those who are victims of these forced marriages. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.